Ezekiel chapter 36. The title of my message today is Living and Telling the Story of God. Ezekiel 36 verse 22 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now into the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to, the, uh, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now one more reading, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Every picture tells a story. And the picture I'm going to show you now is a snapshot from our family album. Here it is, taken in 2009, just a few short years ago. Occasion of a family reunion, beginning on the right, is my stepfather. Uh, my father passed away when I was 17 years of age, when I was living here in London. It's a terrible time, very difficult time, and there's a big story to tell about that. And next to my stepfather is my mother, my lovely mother. I understand that old song. I'd walk a million miles for one of them smiles, mama. <laughs> Wonderful. There's nobody quite like your mum. And all the mums said amen anyway. 
And then in the middle there is Elizabeth, our daughter, who's recently married and a wonderful story to tell behind that and all about that. And then comes the face that draws my eyes immediately into this picture. You know, I don't know what you're like, but normally when you look at a photograph with you in it, where do you look first? Yourself. And I tell you, when I looked at this, my eyes went, first of all, to Amanda. Ah, it's okay. <laughs> well, there she is, looking very, very beautiful, radiant, poised with all that dignity of the first lady of the house. And then we come to this fella on the end. Can't believe it's five years ago, I'm looking so young. Not a gray hair to be seen. And underneath that color lay another one at that time, but anyway, <laughs> we won't go into that. And uh, there's a story behind that, isn't there? And, and then you can see the way that, that I'm sitting. There's a story behind that. It's my training, the way I carry myself. And if you notice, carefully, you'll see I'm trying very hard to hold my tummy in. <laughs> and it's not quite working. <laughs> There's a story behind all of that. And you, you can't see it very clearly, but that photograph was taken just, just behind where this screen is, in my hospitality room. And um, there's a story behind that, because it wasn't built for me. In fact, I helped design it and get it ready it was the hospitality room of Wynne Lewis, who's with, with the Lord now, uh, my spiritual father, and, 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 and he never got to use it because he was promoted up the ranks within our Elam denomination, and he became the general superintendent. So all that hard work that I put to make that room look so nice, I just had to enter it and enjoy it myself. <laughs> so sometimes you do nice things for other people, it comes back on yourself. Every picture tells a story, but how do we understand our story? If there was to be a picture of you today, not just the external you, that which is visible, not to see you like me fixing that photographic grin on your face, because you know a camera is there, but a real picture, a picture that might be stronger than infrared, deeper than x-ray, perhaps a spiritual representation of where you're at, be telling a story. How do we understand that story? Of course, by listening to the master storyteller, God himself. Not only is God's story the greatest story that could ever be told, God is the greatest storyteller in the telling of it. That story expands both from time through eternity past and time and, <clears throat> and eternity to come. And in a way, the picture behind me is a little bit of that story of God. You can imagine to the left of the screen here is eternity past. You see creation. And something, of course, we know went terribly wrong. God knew about it and got ready to move into it. And we have Jesus coming into this world, the story of the gospel, the story of redemption, and extending on into the future and into the glory of God that is yet to be revealed in the future life. Through all these things, God is telling his story. His story is the story of life 
and existence. The story of love and war, conflict, victory, in which the hero gets the glory. God writes his story in many ways. We are, of course, very familiar with the fact that God writes his story in his book, the Bible. And there's nowhere clearer than the Bible for us to go to God's story. We can see parts of it in creation and in relationships and in the good things and also in the things that have gone wrong. We can tell a lot about what God is doing, but the Bible makes sense of it. The Bible tells us the story from beginning to end, Genesis through Revelation. The story is also told through the person of Jesus, the, the living word, the written, the, the, the personal word of Jesus. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And he said that as one who came into this world to be a living demonstration of the Father. He that has seen me has seen the Father. But also, did you know that God tells his story through you and through me? We are living letters known and read by everybody. And uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 and 3 says this. Paul is writing, and you'll notice that he's using some of the language taken from Ezekiel 36 that we were were reading earlier. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. This tells us that God speaks to us, reveals his story to us, manifests his story in us, inviting us to join his story, and then begins to tell his story through our lives. He does this personally. And we thank God that we can find our place in God's story when we we read the Bible and read it in a certain way. I'm recommending to you this book today, From God to You, 66 Love Letters, A conversation with God that invites you into his story. It's a book by Dr. Larry Crabb, favorite author of mine. And uh, he takes you through the Bible, book by book, in a very personal, readable fashion. And as you read the scriptures, you can uh, also read his commentary on it. And it's basically telling the story of God. How each chapter, Genesis, Exodus... Leviticus, how each chapter of the Bible, we can hear it as God's love letter, God revealing himself, God inviting us to join him in his journey, to join him in his story. And when we enter the story of God, a dramatic transformation inside takes place. It's amazing. Because when we enter God's story and the power of the Holy Spirit, the the Spirit destroys something on the inside of us. It's that selfish, fleshly, stinking self-centeredness that we all have. Amen? Oh, it's there. It's there from conception right the way through. It's as if, as one writer says, we were infected with an anti-God virus at conception. That our every moment, our every thought, everything about us is all about me. It's about my pleasure, my satisfaction, what I want, my will be done. That's our natural human nature. But God has come by his spirit and taken out that 
old, selfish, self-centered, hard-hearted heart and given us a new heart. And don't think, just because you see somebody very religious, that they have necessarily had that change on the inside. Remember Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus? This religious leader said, Nicodemus, you know so much, but you need to be born again. You need a new heart. There's nothing that stinks more to high heaven than religious stinking flesh because we think that in our religion that we're somehow pleasing God, but it's all about us. I'm doing this, you got to bless me. I'm doing this, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's all about me. That's religion, really. And it's not just religion, it's people in general. But when we understand God's story, we find that the plot is bigger and greater than that, even than our own personal salvation. Don't misunderstand me, that's a vital part of it. But the reason for God saving us is not just you and I could be happy. We have a better life, that things would go better for us. No, no, no. The reason God saved us is he is jealous for his name. He had a plan. A man and a woman placed on this earth. Fill the earth, subdue it. I'll let you be a revelation of my glory through your life. But something happened, all sinned, and we have turned our backs upon God. We begin not to glorify God, but to disgrace God. And just as we read in Ezekiel 36, God was very concerned about that. He said, I want you to know, Israel, I'm coming to help you. I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to deliver you. But I'm not doing it just for you. I'm doing it for the sake of my holy name. Because my choice is to choose you and reveal myself to you. And you have failed. But I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. Because I delight in my name and in my glory. The wonderful thing is, is that we begin to lose this sense of self-centeredness and begin to understand, believe it or not, it's not all about me. It's all about him. It's a kind of spiritual Copernican revolution. I'm sure you all studied that or told that in your history classes or in your science classes, the Copernican revolution. Up until that time, around the 1600s, Many people believed, in fact, it was official teaching, even official teaching from the church, that the sun revolved around the earth. That the earth was the center of everything. The earth was the center of the universe, and certainly the sun revolved around it, and Copernicus said, no, the facts of science don't fit that. And the revolution was, no, 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 it's not, it's the other way around. You've got it the wrong way around. The earth revolves around the sun. And that was the Copernican revolution. We need that revolution on the inside. We need that discovery that says, oh, wow. So that's what life's all about. It's about God and his glory. It's not about me. Even he saved me for his glory. Not just for my personal benefit, although, of course, we do benefit. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we are saved to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why when Paul wants to summarize the greatest calling of all, 
for the Christian church, the community of God's people, is that God may be glorified in the church. It is all about Him. It is all about His glory. Hallelujah. But you know, this means something has to happen in us because it's not, it's not somebody's got a gun to our head saying, you better say Jesus. The answer is Jesus. What's the purpose of life? Jesus, okay. You, you, it, it, it's not a gun to our head. It's something else. It's a transformation within. It's God's spirit within our hearts. That old self-centered stony heart has been taken away never to return and God has given us a new nature. If I was to ask you, tell me the truth about you, you might think I'd be prying into looking at your flesh, what's going on inside you, and oh, that would be a story. Certainly, mine would be. But that's not what is most true about you. The, most, the, the things that are most true about you have nothing to do with the desires of your flesh. The truest thing about you is the presence of God on the inside of you that is changing you from the inside out. Can I have an amen in the house of God? And what that means is through the new covenant, when God gives us his spirit and changes us from the inside, we discover there's a new deep desire that says, it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. This desire means that we long for God. We long for the pleasures of God more than the pleasures of the world. We long for the pleasures of holiness more than the pleasures of sin. We delight in the pleasure of God's company above all other company. And we begin to marvel at the privilege we have of being called to serve and honor God and bring him glory. We are delighted that God invites us into his story and gives us a place in his story. We're not the main character. We're not the hero. But we have a part in that story. And, and, and that part is that we act like a mirror to God's glory. God's glory is reflected into our lives that it might be reflected outside our lives. Received in and reflected to others so that we shine this reflected glory into this dark world and this world begins to know and understand that God, the invisible one, is real. When we live like this and discover who we really are, we come to the place where these things become the greatest source of pleasure that far surpasses all lesser pleasures, more privileges than all the lesser privileges this world gives. And this is the good news. The gospel actually makes it possible that our lives can really be all about him, not about us. That's the gospel revolution. And it's happening. It's happening. You know, I'm in touch with many different people from different parts of the world, people who have come, ministers, and as I travel around, everybody's asking the same question. Colin, what do you think God is doing What's the move of God that he's getting busy with? I, I say, it's already begun. It's already begun. It's a move of depth. God is deepening the experience of his people. He's causing us to put our roots deeper and deeper in him. One of the big issues of the Christianity of the 20th century was its superficiality. That's not real Christianity, that which floats on the surface. 
the kind of Christianity that says, it's all about me, God. It's convenient to have you in my life because you're going to give me a better job, going to give me a better wife. I'm not talking about myself, no. <laughs> going to give me a better wife. The old one wasn't so good. or the, she's, she's 50, so I'll trade her in for two 25-year-olds kind of thing. And we, we joke, and in a way, I, I'm obviously exaggerating, but, but there are many people who do all that kind of stuff in the name of God. Saying, God, you're here for my pleasure. That's what you're here for. No, 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 no. All things were created by you, for you, for your pleasure. We live for the glory of God. That's how we were made. We are our happiest, healthiest, holiest, most fulfilled when we're living for God, not ourselves. This revival is coming tonight. I believe we're going to have a significant experience of, of, an, of a presence of God. An hour and a half plus of being in the presence of God, being soaking in the presence of God. Not just listening to nice music. It's not just about the recordings and the beautiful recordings. The songs are beautiful. The musical style is fantastic. Uh, and and the, the production's amazing. The quality is fantastic. But it's about having an experience of God where God, the reality of God sinks deep into our souls and connects with the presence of the Spirit and begins to bubble up and bring transformation that reflects His glory into the world. I want you to imagine this coming revival, what it's actually going to be. Imagine it. Lovers of self becoming lovers of God. Self-absorbed people becoming worshippers of God, God-centered people. Not people trying to make their life more pleasing, more fulfilling, but people who say, whatever comes my way, I am going to prioritize the glory of God. Obsessions and addictions broken. Men canceling their subscriptions to cable television, if you know what I'm saying. Lonely women no longer compromising by turning to worldly methods to find their partner. Learning to rejoice with those who rejoice, even if the blessings they got were the blessings we wanted and never got. Weeping with those that weep, not just saying smugly, well, at least I'm not going through that, thank you, Jesus. Children learning to love and respect their parents, care for their parents, and not see it as a burden to avoid, but an honor to embrace where we learn to love not just in word but in deed also, actually really genuinely being more concerned about others than we are for ourselves. It's a revolution that comes when you are caught up into the story of God and you know it's not about me, it's about him. Churches ceasing to be gatherings of self-centered people, shallow worshipers and Sunday-only Christians but becoming a real spiritual community. Gatherings of broken but grateful people ruled by one passion, the passion for Christ. And I, I guess it's true to say that the main point of the Bible is this, God does not exist for us. We exist for God. And we're called to show God's glory, not just to make our lives better. And the whole thing is not how God fits into our story. It's how we fit into his story. 
Not how God fits into what we're doing, but how we fit into what God's doing. And the most significant aspect of your salvation is the honor, the praise, and the glory that it brings to God. Learn to live like that. You realize your life is part of a bigger picture, which is good news. Because it means that whatever is happening, whether it's good or bad, difficult or easy, God is up to something. And he, he is writing his story through your life, through every circumstance. When you get to know the story, you know how to be part of it and, and, and which side to choose. Because everything that happens is part of God's story. The heroic things and the villainous things. God is working in all that. You don't get to choose. You don't get to be the hero. There's only one. You don't even get to be the arch villain. That place is already taken. But you get to choose whether you can be a little villain or a little hero. And God will complete the story with all the villains, all the conflict and all the stuff that's happening. God says, I'm writing my story and we're going to get to the end. I'm working my story out. It's a great and glorious co conclusion and it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. You, you look at the end of the book, God wins. And we live happily ever after. It is happening. But the problem is we want it to happen too quickly. It's like going to the movies with somebody who's seen the movie before. They spoil it. Oh, he gets the girl. I wanted to find that for myself. He, oh, oh, the butler did it. Oh. Or he wins the championship and there's no, no longer this nail-biting climax to the movie because it's been spoiled. Because we want the resolution quickly. We want it now. We want to, want to experience the end right now. We want the good stuff now. We want satisfaction now. Because the root of that self-centered nature I was talking about is the belief that we deserve it. That we, we are entitled to it. God's, we your kids, you better give it to us. It's all about me. Doesn't it say God is love, you love me, therefore it's all about me, so give it to me now. And when the story doesn't seem to be working that way, we say, God, I'd like to give you a rewrite. The script you've handed me, it's not exactly as I want it. That my part isn't prominent enough, and I, I, I want to be the one that gets the girl. I want to be the one that wins the championship. Now, God, you better change the script. God won't change his script for you. Or if we read it, it gets a bit boring, like you're reading a story to your child. Oh, boring. Read me another one. No, no. We have to follow the script. But we have an active part knowing that God is working all things together for good to those that love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes when things go, go wrong, we try to fix it. So we, we adopt a role that God never wrote for us. We become the manager. Not just my life, everybody else's life. We manage everything. We want to manage our way to make sure we get what we want. Or if it's not working out, we play another role, the escapist. We, we want to escape, so we look for comfort. Or, or if that doesn't work and we're full of pain, we become the victim. And that's our story. That's who, the role we play. How are you? Well, under the circumstances, I'm bearing up. Let me take out my violin. Poor me, poor me. <laughs> or if we get intellectual and think, oh, I know, I'll play the philosopher. Hmm. 
And we think that through our arguing, our thinking, that we can resolve this. No, no, no. Get back to the script. People play the role of the religionist, the ardent soul seeker after truth. Friends, none of these things work. In one way or another, it's living after our own self-centered passion and becoming incapable of love. I'm interested in stories, having background in the theater and that kind of stuff. I love novels and reading and movies and television series. And it amazes me how the writers and the directors and the producers kind of have a handle on what we're thinking or what makes us tick, what makes the movie interesting and compelling. Watch the TV series recently all about lawyers. These were hard-nosed New York lawyers. Uh, my were they godless. Wheeling, dealing, betraying, self-serving bunch of people. And these were the heroes in the series. These were the good guys. Now, I know not all lawyers are like that. All right. Some are, but not all. And um, at a certain point in the series, one of the leading characters summarized the whole of the series. And there was a discussion about something he'd done and he said, I make no excuse for that because I am a passionate person. I have a passion. What's your passion? My passion is, is to get what I want, keep what I want, and get back what I've lost. That's my passion. And I thought, oh boy, that's like every one of us, naturally speaking. But we are not in the flesh. We're in the spirit. God has changed us. That's why the greatest revelation of God's glory through your life is when people see that you've renounced that fleshly passion, which is all about you, and you've adopted the passion of Christ because it's all about him. Amen and amen. And that's what we're created for. We think it's normal because it's natural. No, if it's natural, it's not normal. Do you get what I'm saying? Naturally speaking, well, I'm going to walk in the natural realm. We are supernaturally charged and transformed by the Spirit of God. God has taken out that old nature, given us a new nature. And when we walk according to that new nature, we are serving the real purpose of our humanity. You're never truly human until you're born again. And you're never truly, fully human until you become like Christ. That's why Christ, as the divine God-man, shows us how to live, but doesn't just leave us an example. He enters our life to live out that example. God never calls us to do anything other than enabling us to do it. And when we walk like this and go through life, we know nothing works as it should. Have you noticed that? Nothing works as it should. Our creation itself is broken. We don't work as we should. Our bodies don't work as they should. Our minds, our emotions don't work as they should. Nothing in this world works as it should because it's broken. But God says, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore all things. So we know that, that in this world where things go wrong, 
we are going to get into difficulty. Jesus said, you've got to understand this. In the world, you're going to have trouble. But I am here to overcome the world, and that will be fully manifested when the story reaches its climax. But in, in, the, in the meantime, we're in the process. What happens to you when things go badly wrong? What do you do? Do you ask yourself or begin to talk to God and say, God, what can I do to make my life better? Or when that doesn't work, God, what can I do to be free from this pain? That's natural. But it's not supernatural. When you get involved with the supernatural story of God, you ask God for something different. You say, God... In this situation, how are you telling your story through me? Amen? We're like this. We, be, we enter into a different realm where we judge things in a different way. If it's all about God's glory, then that's what counts. Whether by my healing, by my deliverance, or by my never seeing the things that I long for, which are natural and right to long for, but they are second place things in place of the real purpose of our lives to bring God glory. The man who was born blind, it wasn't because of his sin, you know, in John chapter 9, it wasn't his sin or the sins of his parents. Jesus said, he was born blind for the glory of God because I'm going to heal him, open his eyes, and everybody's going to see my glory. But is that true for every blind person? Has that, is that the experience of every blind Christian? And is that the only hope for glory, their healing? We know in the future life, he will receive his sight. Amen. But in the meantime, it's God, I'm going to trust you. And if I can't get a miracle, I will be a miracle. That's maturity. Larry Crabb in this book, I'll give you a quote, a marvelous quote from this book. 66 love letters. He said, when we learn to live like this, when we understand the story of God, that God is telling, something happens to us. We, 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 we change from being self-centered to God-centered, not my glory for me to look good. It's about you, Lord. That's what I'm here for, to make you look good. When you understand that that's what life's all about, he says this, Larry Krebs says this, everything you formerly called a disaster you see now as a painful but strangely welcome opportunity to tell more of his story. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And every good thing you used to cling to, you come to see that it's in reality a mere drop of pleasure in an ocean of joy which is God himself, and a drop that you can lose without really losing anything. That's maturity. That's depth. And in the book of Ezekiel, God says, remember, I'm doing this for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned. 
but I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will make you new. And I will be sanctified in you. Then they will see my glory. So we see there are two fundamental ways of approaching our spiritual life. We can say, God, I live for you so that I can get from you what will make me happy. That's where most of us live for quite a lot of our time. But there's another way. I live for you, God, so that whether by deliverance or by perseverance, whether by healing or by faithfulness, despite negative stuff happening to me, I want to live for your glory. I want to live for your glory. So we see life, even existence itself, is all about God's story. And my life is a small part of his big story. It's not about me or my part in my story or God's part in my story. It's my part in his story. My life belongs to this larger story. Your life belongs to it. And look at the amazing questions God answers in his story. One, what's the point of it all? What's the purpose of it, of it all? God's glory. What's gone so very wrong? We have sinned and fallen short of that glory. How can it all be put back together? How can it all be made right? Christ came to give his life for us. How is it going to turn out? It's going to turn out God is going to get glory to his name. We've read the back of the book. God wins and we live together with him forever. And the message of all of this, most hopeful message of all is that yes, God says, you've made a mess, but I have a plan. In the world, everyone fails, but I succeed. And out of whatever mess you've made out of all that I've given you, all that you could become, the way you've messed it up, I want you to know this. I have a plan that no human demonic Failure could ever destroy. That's a plan. To bring the revelation of my glory in a restored human personality, recreated in Christ, spirit, soul, and body, in a new heavens and a new earth, which is the home of righteousness. And my glory shall shine and it will be the praise of the glory of my grace revealed in your lives. Get to know his story, become part of his story, and say, God, thank you. Finally, I know what life's all about, and it's not about me. It's all about you. Amen and amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I want to pray in the Musicians are going to come quickly onto the platform. We left some time now that we can just turn this back to God. And I want a thunderously glorious praise time at the end here, guys. So if you can get ready for that. In the meantime, let's pray. 
Oh, Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to reveal your glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father to show us how that glory is revealed in your presence. And as we seek to revolve our lives around you, just as our physical earth revolves around the sun, let our lives revolve around you, your glory, your presence. Help us even in the difficult times when it's the most painful thing to admit that we can't have it our way. The things that we deeply desire, some of them good, some of them not so good, but whether good or bad, God, you come first. And every other desire is second to that. Thank you, Lord, that you can glorify your name for whatever circumstance presents itself. And in testings and trials and suffering even, your holy name can be glorified because we say, Lord, we believe you, we trust you, you are trustworthy, you are worthy to be trusted and we will love you and love our neighbor whatever happens because your spirit lives within us, the spirit that carries the nature of Jesus and transmits that nature into our lives and transforms us into the personality of Christ. God, deepen our relationship with you. Let us love you, serve you, and help us, Lord, for these things are hard to learn. But we thank you for the peace of surrender and participation and demonstration of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.